necessary. And I know for some of you, for many of you, this was not an easy week. And, and uh, week after week rolls by and, and uh, the evil one is constantly trying to discourage us and to somehow bring us to the conclusion that God is not in charge. That God is, is weak or is distant or has disappeared or is angry at us or whatever. But God is in charge. He is absolutely in charge, the sovereign God, and it is good. It is good to gather with God's people and, and encourage each other and inspire one another to those truths and to praise his name. I, I don't know whether this is true or not, but I just feel like God must love when Sundays come. Do you think that? I, I think he must. I mean, I know, I know all the theology. We are to live a life of worship and sacrifice, and we do. And, and yet, I, I really believe there's something spectacular about the gathering of God's people on a Sunday, on the Lord's Day, all over the world. Just think about God is hearing this multiplied thousands of times. I can't even imagine it. And someday, someday it's going to be beyond our wildest imagination, and, and we will be worshiping in His presence. And, and uh, how I am thankful for the testimonies of, of uh the Glacier uh, girls this morning lifted up our hearts and encouraged us with what God is doing in, in our young people's lives and, and uh, in your lives alike. And, and uh, God is good and he's at work. And God is going to demonstrate powerful things among us and will continue to do so. And we tried to encourage you last week with God's word that God is in charge, even though sometimes it doesn't look from, the, from our observation perspective, from what our eyes can see. We have such a limited perspective. We only can see what's right before us. We can't see the years as they unfold. But God is absolutely in charge, and he has a good plan, and he has a purpose. And the truth is most of us, or better put, all of us are going to be asked to live in settings, to be faithful in settings that are hostile to God. And the bedrock truth that will get us through is to know that our great God is in charge. We're going to be asked to live at the intersection of faith and no faith and other faiths. And we are going to be asked to live faithfully in those settings without getting sucked into the undertow of the values of the cultural majority. We're going to be asked to learn how to say yes and how to say no and how to know the difference between the two. And so this morning, I I want to ask you, have you got it going with the Lord? I mean, are you standing out in the setting that he's placed you in? Are you being sucked under? Because where the sacred faith and secular cultural intersect, God wants you to stand firm, to speak for him. As Pastor Steve exhorted us to, to to praise him in our settings. We don't praise the Lord enough. We need to praise him more. So I'm asking the question this morning out of the text of Daniel, have you put strategies in place that enable you to impact your setting for God without being pulled into the wayward ways of those around you. I think you'll all agree with me that we live in a strange land of idol worshipers. You can't help but miss it all around you. We've been trying to 
feed you this information over the last several weeks, and I want to, to say it again so we can establish the context so you understand what you are up against, and don't forget it. You are up against three major gods, small g, with big impact. The god of relativism, the absurd idea that people like to be free from absolute truth, and it is absurd. We are up against the god of self, self aggrandizement, self-realization is everything. It's all about me. And we are up against the God of materialism, the God of material things. Because long ago, the Western culture bowed to the God of wimpy economics. And I don't mean wimpy in weak economics. I mean wimpy the old cartoon character who said, I'd be glad to pay you Tuesday. For a hamburger today. And someone thought that was a brilliant way to run a a society. And now we have ourselves in an amazing mess. Because everybody's saying to everybody, I'll be glad to pay you Tuesday for the material things you're going to give me today. And they can't pay for them. How many know Popeye and Wimpy? Remember that? This makes me feel like I'm in company with people my own age. Kids are like, what in the world is he talking about? (laughs) Our tents are pitched as a result at the front lines of conflicting kingdoms. The culture that you and I live in is for the most part media, arts, entertainment, and education driven. They are the major shapers of the thought of the people who we live among. At best, they are disinterested in what God has to say. But at worst, they are downright antagonistic toward God. And as a result, every day of our lives, we are in conflict. We live in a conflicting scenario between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of man. And at that intersection... We struggle with the common values that we once used to understand so clearly. Values with respect to marriage. Values about the pre-born. Values about what it means to have sacred things in secular places. Values related to sexual morality. The values of trying to preserve the sacred at all. So being found at odds is virtually impossible to avoid. The political state wants radical independence from the sacred, increasingly so. The political surroundings do not want the moral compass that you and I steer our lives by. And we are called to live in this setting. That's why I've said to you that that's why Daniel, the book of Daniel and the stories of Daniel become so appropriate, so applicable to our situation. A a people in exile. We are a people in exile. We live among people who do not share our values and increasingly want our values pushed to the margins of society. But God wants to be declared in this place. God wants it to be declared in your workplace and in your school. God wants to be declared in your neighborhood and in your house. 
God wants us to reveal his greatness. God wants to show and demonstrate great power among us. I am hungry for the power of God. I am anxious for us to experience in increasing ways what it means to really have the power of God resident in the things that we do. We are called to live, I think, between two boundaries, or between the two boundaries of two major biblical uh, markers. If we get this right in our life, we will know how to be a Daniel, the dare-to-be-a-Daniel kind of person. The first is found in Genesis chapter 12, the first three verses. The Lord said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you, and I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Now, some of you are immediately jumping to the conclusion, wait a second, this is the Abrahamic covenant. Yes, it is. And this is a covenant to Israel. Beloved, this promised covenant long ago transcended Israel. As soon as the end part was tacked on and through your seed, singular, all peoples on earth will be blessed, it was a reference to Christ Jesus himself. Through Messiah, all nations will be blessed. And as soon as you invited the person of Jesus Christ to come in and live in your life, you immediately became a carrier of the Abrahamic covenant. You immediately became one who was called to bless the nations as a representative of Jesus Christ. I want to assure you that we now, the church, are called to be the people who bless the people of the world. Don't take my word for it. Take the Apostle Paul's word for it. Paul, in Romans chapter 4, made this abundantly clear in verse 16 and 17. Therefore, the promise comes by faith, so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring. Not only to those who are of the law, or in other words, through his genetic line, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God in whom we believed, in whom he believed, the God who gives life to the dead and calls things that are not as though they were. Are you Abraham's offspring? Come on, yes you are. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you are. And this Abrahamic covenant was handed to you. Let's not let Western political um, foreign policy dictate our exegesis of the scriptures. I can assure you that some shop owner in Tel Aviv who hates Jesus Christ is not who's being referred to in this bless the nations covenant. It's a poor little old lady downtown Young Street with a variety store who loves Jesus Christ with all of her heart and is an Arab Christian. That's who this covenant is all about. Called 
to bless the nations. Calvary Baptist Church is called to be a blessing to the nations. Now that's the one marker. The other side of the marker is found in Romans chapter 12. Verse 2. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We'll stop it there. That's just part of the verse. We are called as God's people to live between these two poles. Live with the tension of being among them as a blessing, but not becoming like them. Jeremiah, in, verse, in chapter 29, gives us a picture not only of how Israel was to live in exile, but how all exiled people are to live. In Jeremiah 29, verse 4, it says this, This is what the Lord Almighty, is, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Or all that I carried into exile from hostility toward Jesus Christ to a response to Jesus Christ, to receiving Christ, living in exile in Canada. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also seek the peace and prosperity of this city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it. Because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Jesus, in giving commentary to these two poles, the understanding that we are called to bless the peoples of the world and that we are called not to conform to, the, to be pressed into the pattern of the people of the world, said this, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. Jesus made it abundantly clear. Don't take my people out of the exile where they are. Leave them in. They are not of the people who they live among. They are to be different. They are to be sent into the world, even as the Father sent me into a hostile world to the things of God. Those are our marching orders. That's how we're to live. To bless without becoming like. But how do you do that? That's what our, our lesson in Daniel is going to take us to today. Could you turn in your Bibles to Daniel chapter 1, please? What are the limits? What are the limitations? What are the liberties? What's the tension here? How do we make good choices? How do we know how to say yes and how to say no? So that we will be able to bless people but not become like them. Where sacred faith and secular state clash, how does God work happen? In verse 3 of Daniel chapter 1, it starts this way. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring in some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. 
Young men without physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians, or Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that they were to enter the king's service. Among these were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, the name Belteshazzar. To Hananiah, Shadrach. To Mishael, Meshach. And to Azariah, Abednego. We'll stop there. We'll read further, but we'll stop there for right now. Father, as, as the, the, the word of God is open before us this morning, and our hearts are filled with the praise of God, and the realization and recognition all over again that you are the great God in charge, you are the God over the universe, you are our sovereign God. Father, our, our sight lines are so limited. Yours are unlimited. You are the eternal God who knows the beginning from the end. And Lord, we throw ourselves at your mercy and thank you that you love us and care for us. And we ask you, Lord, to please help us to know how to live the way you've called us to live. Help us to live in a way that blesses the people who, who don't know you, who, who, who need to know you, who've never experienced the love of Christ. Help us to know how to bless those people and live among them. And, and yet, Lord, help us not to become pressed into the pattern of their lifestyles, which are hostile to you. Help us to bless but not be like for your glory's sake, that your power might be demonstrated and that the, that the God of the universe might be revealed through us, I pray, Lord. Help us now to understand your scripture, understand how to make these right choices for Jesus' sake. Amen. What is God up to? Well, I, I, this whole exile situation was as a result of the, the, the requirement of Israel needing to be disciplined. In Jeremiah 29, verse 19, the explanation for exile is given. For they have not listened to my words declares the Lord. Words that I sent to them again and again by my servants, the prophets, and you exiles have not listened either, declares the Lord. But by the same token, so Israel was put in exile in, in, in uh, Babylon because of discipline, because of not paying attention to the Lord. But by the same token, God was up to something in, 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 with reference to Babylon itself. In verse 10 of Jeremiah 29, it says, This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my gracious promise to bring you back to this place. God had a plan for Babylon as well. God had a plan for his people and a plan for Babylon. And I shared with you last week that in the context of discipline, God blesses. We have a scenario here where, where in fact, God, by his amazing and incredible grace and his amazing missionary zeal takes a righteous people, a salt people, and puts them into an unrighteous setting, demonstrating over and over again that our great God has a missionary zeal. He desires that people would turn to him and worship him. It was the same thing he did with Jonah. He said to Jonah, when, when Jonah did not want to go to Assyria, did not want to go to the Ninevites, the Lord said, there's 125,000 people in that amazing great city of Nineveh. Should I not care about them? There's 150,000. 
thousand people in Oshawa. There's 300,000 people in Oshawa, Whitby. There's about half a million people in the great, greater Durham region. God says from heaven, should I not care about this great number of people? And so God had a plan for Babylon. For 70 years, they were going to have the benefit of having God's people living among them. And so does our country. Babylon, both Babylon and God's people were placed at the crossroads. Would Babylon turn to the living God? When we turn to the end of the book, Revelation 16, 17, 18, we realize, no, they did not. And God's people were at the crossroads as they always are in exile. Will they prove to be faithful or fail? So the guys here are required to make the best out of a bad situation. How many feel like sometimes that's the way you have to live? I'm just living, trying to make the best of a very bad situation. So many unplanned changes in my life. This is not how I was thinking it was going to be. I never imagined that that this is how the landscape would look. And sometimes I'm thinking, is God really in charge? But yes, I know he's in charge. He's a sovereign God. But but quite frankly, I mean, these guys were taken hostage out of the land. That's sort of bad. But then they were given a full-ride scholarship in the King's College. That's kind of good. They were going to get a three-year degree in Babylonian intercultural studies. It says in the text, they were going to learn the literature and the language and the way of the Chaldeans. And and on their reading list was going to be a lot of Harry Potter books. Now, you're thinking I'm telling you some sort of fanciful idea. Listen, when it mentions the Chaldeans here, it mentions them on purpose. The Chaldeans were known to be into sorcery, into astrology. These guys were going to be inundated with some stuff that they didn't believe. That's kind of bad. They were going to be fed from the king's menu. That's kind of good. That's going to be the best food that you can possibly have in Babylon. This wasn't going to be just what the king fed his servants, you know, the scraps off. They were going to get to have the the menu. They're going to pull it out. Look at this, Vichy Schwaz. I don't even know what that is. <laughs> Creme brulee for dessert. That's kind of good. They were going to be renamed Babylonian pagan names. That's kind of yucky. Because their names had God in them. Daniel. Azariah. And the temptation foisted on some young men put at the top of their game fast like that? I mean, think about it. Guys, you know, you know the rules. You play the cards right, kids, you're going right to the top. You buy into all of this, the sky's the limit. Babylon is on the way to the top, and you're on it for the ride. Just don't rock the boat. Two things that Israel never did well. For that matter, 
the church struggles to do well. To be a missionary blessing to the pagan nations and to not be assimilated into the culture in which they lived. It's never changed for God's people. It continues to be our Achilles heel. That we would be people who have a missionary zeal. (laughs) Genesis 12, I've called you out of darkness into my amazing light that you might reflect the glory of God wherever you go. But don't become like them. And so it is left for Daniel and these guys to demonstrate precisely what God wants from all of us. Now they're asked to do it. They're placed right on the firing line. Their feet are being held right to the fire. Now, by the way, this is not a moral lesson this morning. I don't want you to take it as that, how to be a good Christian in a hostile place. God forbid that I would teach you that. I want you to see how God works through exiled people in a culture opposed to his ways. What is it that you are called to do so that you may experience all that God wants to do where he's placed you? That's the lesson for us. And it's learning to say yes, learning to say no. There's three major tactics on your part. God will do his part. And I can assure you of this. It's not to say yes to everything. But I can equally say to you, it's not to say no to everything. It's the tricky work of relying on God, the principles of God's word, to wrestle through these decisions you have to make all the time. There are some strategies. I want you to look at verse 8. Strategy 1. Daniel resolved not to defile himself. Daniel resolved not to defile. Before you behave, you must resolve what you believe. It says literally Daniel purposed in his heart. Long before he had to make this decision or any of these decisions, Daniel had resolved in his heart who he was and what he believed. As for me and my house, this is what we believe. As for me and my house, in light of this being what we believe, this is how we will live. This is how we will apply what we believe. If you wait till the issue comes up, the likelihood of being able to stand is minimized. You have to already have your convictions in line that are non-negotiable. I'm fascinated to see what Daniel chose, where he chose to draw the line. It says, with the royal food and wine. Of all the things in Babylon that Babylon could throw at him. This is where he takes his big stand. The dean of students shows up and the meal plan proves to be problematic for him. As you read on, look what it says here. He refused, he says he's not going to defile himself with the royal food and wine. He asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. Now God had caused the official to show favor. Notice that, now God had caused. If God isn't showing you favor... You aren't going to accomplish anything. God caused the official to show favor and sympathy to Daniel, but the official told Daniel, in other words, he didn't kill him right away. But he says to Daniel, look, I'm afraid of my lord, the king, who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would then have my head because of you. 
And Daniel then said to the guard whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Please test your servants for ten days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the raw food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. Now, now Daniel is, is, what Daniel is really doing here is he's saying, Listen, I'm turning down five guys' burgers and fries for a veggie tray. Now, that's not exactly the, the choice that, that I would find easy to make. I mean, I mean, think about this for a second. He's becoming the vegan poster child. He goes out picking peas rather than prime rib. Radishes instead of roast pork. What in the world is he up to here? This is not the hill that I would pick to die on. So why, Daniel, did he choose this one? Now, I think most of you who have a good understanding of the Old Testament Scriptures, and this is obvious, Rick, come on, meat, pork, not properly treated, so there'd be blood in the meat, probably a big problem for the, the Jewish guys, you know. Well, at first glance, that might be it. And you may say, well, that seems like an easy decision for a Jewish kid to make. But he turns down the wine, too. That was never forbidden. What's happening? Rather, he says, just give me vegetables and water. If you read in the book of Hosea, it says that all food served from pagan nations is unclean. All food. For those of you who are interested in looking at it, you can find it in Hosea chapter 9, verse 3 and 4. If you dig a little deeper and try to understand a little bit of what's going on in Daniel's life, it seems that in some way he viewed taking all that the king would give him as an act of loyalty and allegiance and dependence on a pagan king. That somehow he was in understanding the nature of that culture. And that's where you have to discern the setting you're in. Somehow as he understood the nature of that culture. If, he were to take, if they were to take all of that and, and just consume it and, and, and enjoy it. Literally they were becoming one of them. So that the people would look at them and say. You know what? You've become one of us. You're just like us. You have names like us. You're learning the same things we are. You even eat the same food we eat. We always thought you were somehow distinct and different than that. Daniel determined that this was a war. This particular stand he was going to make was a war against freedom to be loyal to God and God alone. And he refused Learning to stay no, by the way, starts with small things and should be done at the front end. I I can't tell young people enough that saying no early is a lot easier than trying to say no after a lot of things have happened. 
It's a lot easier to take your stand right from the beginning. And whether you're young or whether you're older, whatever setting that you are dropped into by God, it is crucial for you to purpose in your heart, this is how I'm going to live from day one. And I'm going to make sure that everybody knows up front, whether it's the small decision or a large decision, but usually the small decision, right up front, this is who I am. Because Daniel was going to be in this for the long haul. If you read verse 21, it says Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. This was going to be a 34-year run for Daniel. This is who I am. Secondly, chapter 2, verse 17 and 18, Daniel, it says, goes back to the house. He explains the matter to his friends. Of course, it's a different matter, but serves the point. He urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men in Babylon. The second tactic is critical is that in order to experience success in conflict with the culture, you better not try to go it alone. As good as your resolve, as good as your background, as good as your upbringing might be, don't try to stand alone against the tide of godlessness Not a few times people have said to me they really like to hang out at Calvary because of the size of Calvary. It allows you to be somewhat anonymous. I can come in here and go out of here and nobody necessarily knows what's going on in my life. And a lot of people like that. And as I've shared with people when they've said this to me, that might be something you really need for a small season. But don't make a Christian career out of it. You need each other. I need the company and the accountability and the responsibility of being in community. We stand against powerful forces. The key, by the way, to pleasing God and standing firm in exile is personal, the personal disciplines of a devotion life in the word of God. And we need the encouragement and accountability and interaction of one another to stay faithful, to stay at it. So he had a four-man cell group that was very, very strategic, holding each other accountable, holding each other up in prayer. The third is this. And the harder work may be learning where to cooperate without compromise, learning when to say yes. It's usually safe to say no. In fact, as I grew up, predominantly Christianity was no. That's how we learned Christianity. Don't do that, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that. It was just simple back in those days. Don't do anything, and you won't get in trouble. I just remember staying in my suit. My dad listens to all these, so I always like to get a little dig in. But... But I remember on Sunday, staying in my suit all day, sitting on a chair, my, my sister and I, like, like choir boys. Well, she was a girl. But, but, and and uh, watching Marlon Perkins, Animal Kingdom, and, and, and uh, Disney, when Disney was clean. That was it. Don't do anything else. It was always easy to teach people to say, no, don't do anything. But, but God's called us to live 
in the context we're in. God has called us to live in the setting. And as I look at these guys, I'm scratching my head and saying, Daniel, you turned away the prime rib and you are getting educated by the pagans. There's something wrong here. I don't understand. He said yes to education. He said yes to the name change. And he said yes to a secular job. And the only explanation that I can give you, which I believe is the biblical explanation, is because that's why God placed him there in the first place. You know, if you, if you understand at all what Daniel's going to be called to do, he's going to be called to be a person who understands and interprets dreams and visions on behalf of the living God. Guess what would be very important for him to understand in a Chaldean culture that specialized in sorcery and dreams and visions? A capacity to understand the presuppositions of the people he was called to minister among. These are the tough calls we have to make every day of our lives. Private Christian school, homeschool, public school. Who of us in here hasn't had to wrestle with that? What we will do with our children. Who of us hasn't had to make those kinds of tough decisions and understand what what is God's mission for our family? What has he called us to do? And, And those decisions that are made among us are often different because our mission is different or God's call on our lives is different. God has some sort of particular purpose for us. You can't just simply write the script for everybody. You have to say, that's why these men needed to live close to God and understand that that living in this context required saying no and saying yes. And they needed to know with a passion and a conviction in their hearts why they were saying no and why they were saying yes. They needed a purpose in their hearts before they made these decisions. Yes to secular names. They could fit in. And Daniel determined that that was not going to violate his relationship or loyalty to God. He could dress like them. He didn't have to look like he was some refugee from the 1800s. That somehow that that wouldn't violate God's will for his life. Yes to a secular job. Because that was going to be the place where Daniel and his friends were going to influence and impact a whole culture for God. I have to wind this up and just let me say a couple of more things. We take our stand in culture by ensuring that we preserve our freedom to remain fully dedicated and devoted to the Lord. We say no to anything that would prevent that. At the same time, we settle down, not to be swept into the mores of the culture, but to take our place as contributors from a God mission perspective. We're to serve where we are, building, shaping, direction, benefiting from the culture and its privileges, but not sacrifice our identity In the action. Not yes to everything. The Apostle Paul said, while everything might be permissible, not everything is beneficial. While everything might be permissible, not everything is constructive. 
1 Corinthians 10, 23. That you might not think of the good of yourself only, but the good of others as well. To be inner strangers, one writer says, to the life and culture in which we are outwardly and fully involved. Here's the decision deciphered. Daniel, I believe, came to this, and this is, this is a key principles for our lives. Daniel stated this, I will glean all the benefits of the Babylonian educational system and the influence I can be for God in my career in Babylon. In other words, how he shaped ministry and material choices. Select from the culture what God can employ in the mission to the culture. That's how we have to make choices in our personal life and in our life corporately as a church. In the decisions we make on, on how we will do ministry, the resourcing that we will bring into ministry, the choices materially that we will purchase to bring toward ministry. We have to settle this and make this the, the decision for us to select from the culture what God will and can employ in the mission to the culture. But the other side of it is... We will refuse to participate in cultural activities that will compromise or even symbolize the compromise of our total loyalty and devotion to the real Lord. We will discard whatever might build a blockade between you and loyalty to the Lord or his mission. Whatever makes me unusable, whatever tampers with my witness or my time or my availability to God, Whatever gives the impression that we would be condoning evil or, or participating with it. Whatever slams the sacred. Any symbols of divided loyalty. Those things. Discard. Say no. And you know. You know when something is in the way of you and your loyalty to God or his mission. You know. The people of the world know. If you don't know, you ask them. You ask them yourself. And they say, oh, I, I, I'm shocked about that. They know. Let me close it this way. As point of decision. What have you resolved to do and not to do? Before you enter the door of that workplace tomorrow... Before you go one more time to the school, before you go out into your neighborhood, before you go back into your house, before you go into whatever setting, because if you're trying to live randomly or just whatever comes my way, I try to make decisions on the fly, I'm just trying to live in some sort of, you're going to get swept under. What? Men, as leaders of your homes... What have you resolved to do and not to do? In what ways have you determined to bless your culture through your participation in order to honor the reason God has placed you there in the first place? By the way, this is the key to experiencing the power of God among us. This is required of us individually and corporately to make these right decisions. Daniel... Azariah, Misha, Hananiah, they experienced the power of God because they made these choices based on God's will. 
What limits have you put on your liberties to guard your own faith and loyalty toward God and to ensure that your representation of Christ is life-changing? Are your liability limits comprehensive enough? So what are the results? It says that after the men were tested, verse 20, he found them ten times better. How are you making yourself fully usable and blessable and able to be shown favor in the matter of intercultural intersections? God is a competitive God. He's placed you into a marketplace of exile. God is in competition with Satan and sloppiness and sinfulness, casualness, distraction, rebellion. He wants you to make the choices in saying yes and saying no to demonstrate that he is the great God over the universe. He wants you to be a champion in your setting. He wants our church to be a regional champion for him. He wants every church to be that. One church at a time. Could we be it? In a hostile culture fraught with competitive settings, God takes it upon himself to use you to validate his dominance. With all of the learning and all that they had, what God wanted to demonstrate is the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Our Father, we stand before you this morning with a powerful demonstration of right choices. Lord, I pray that as we make this a moment for reflection and consideration, I pray, Father, that we will take this time to allow the Holy Spirit to talk to us by way of commitment. That men and women and young men, young women, boys and girls in this place will resolve to do certain things and not to do certain things that the glory of God may be demonstrated in our lives, in our mission. And so, Father, I pray that you would speak to us, convict us. If there are resolutions that need to be made this morning, I I need to stop that. And I need to say yes to this. Lord, I pray that those will be made. Let's stand together and... um, as we are led, as Pastor Steve leads us, let's just use this time just to let this soak in and and answer that question. What have you resolved to do and not to do that the power of God might be demonstrated in your life? The call here really is for people of courage who will just stand for what they believe. I mean, Daniel was standing with all the forces of the greatest power of the political system of that world. 
and he resolved in his heart that this is who he was, believing that God was greater than all. Our pastor staff are going to be here at the front as the service is departing. And maybe um, you would like us to pray for you. Maybe there's something in your life that you just want to resolve to say, you know what, I, I need to, I need someone to pray with me. I need to make some changes in my life that I can be usable by God, that the power of God can be demonstrated in my life. I need to, I need to say no to some things. Or I need to say yes, take the courage to say yes and get involved making a difference where God has placed me you come and visit with us we'll all be here we'll pray with you we'll be here as long as as you need our Father and our God I pray that the Spirit of God will work in our lives you are calling us to be people of courage people who say yes and people who say no people who are committed to the belief that you are the great God of the universe and you have an assignment for us in the place where you put us and we want to do all that we can to position ourselves to receive the favor of God that we might advertise in our lives your greatness. That we might be ten times better just because our God is so great. I pray this in Jesus' name and for his sake.